Welcome everyone to another Creator Chat. Um, I'm James and today I'm joined by Sarah Firth, who is a cartoonist, artist, writer, speaker and graphic recorder, who has been published extensively in Australia and overseas, and her work has appeared in the Eisner Award-winning anthology Drawing Power and the Ledger Award-winning anthology Neither Here Nor Hair. Uh, she's also a founding member of Graphic Readers Australia, a not-for-profit professional association that supports graphic the sorry that supports the graphic recording community in Australia. And she's just published her debut graphic novel, Eventually Everything Connects. Uh, and she's joined us today to tell us a bit about it and her work in general. Hi, Sarah. Hello. <laughs> How are you going? Thank you very much for that um, lovely introduction. Yeah. Um, so as a national group, uh, to start, as a national group based across the land that we call Australia, Ali Graphic would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Uh, I'd specifically like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the custodians of the land on which both Sarah and I work and live, and to pay respect to their elders past and present, um, and to extend that to all First Nations people across the land. So, yeah, welcome, Sarah. Um, and to get us started, um, do you want to tell us how you first got interested in in comics? Yes. Well, I first got interested in comics through my sister, A.D. Firth, who's also a comics maker, and I used to sneak into her room and steal her comics and read them, and she would get very grumpy at me. Um, but, yeah, she had lots of, like, early Matt Groening, uh, so the creator of The Simpsons, like early Matt Groening um, comics, a lot of Robert Crumb comics that I probably shouldn't have been reading that young um and just like lots of really interesting like indie british comics like um hooligan's haircut and um that's all i can think of at the moment but yeah lots of like kind of um zines and underground stuff and so i really like i was her little sister i copied her fashion i read all the same comics as her i listened to the same music you know so that's what that's how i first um, got my taste of comics, but also we always had lots of like Tintin and Asterix in our house because my um, family, like I have a lot of family in France and Germany, and so we had a lot of French and German copies of those books, and so I would read those as well. Um, so those were quite a influence, and like I love the colours and the action in those as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I um, can relate to that. I'm, I'm the older brother, but um, I always – it got got annoyed when when my little brothers would steal steal something that from my that a book that I was reading or something like that, but secretly really pleased because you know they were they were they liked it too. Like, yes, I'm influencing them with quality media. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure AD felt the same way. Yeah, yeah. Um, she had good she had good taste. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, so building on that, how much have you had to do with libraries, both as a reader and as a creator? So I have loved libraries since I was little. Um, to me, they're like a quasi-religious space to me in the same way that like an art gallery is. They're these secular spaces that you can come and enjoy and think and engage. And I feel like particularly now in this day and age where everything's like, you know, hyper-commercialized, I feel like library, public libraries particularly are a little bit of a miracle. Um, you know, like they're just such important spaces um, for all kinds of different people, all different kinds of ages um, to access information. So 
I just think libraries, librarians, the best. Um, and yeah, like I, um, unfortunately as someone who's dyslexic, I need to underline and dog ear and tag my books and basically trash my books. So, um, I try not to do that to library books, obviously. So I don't borrow as many books as I would like to, but that's kind of just, you know, I often need to buy books so that I can mangle them so I can read them. Um, but like, I really enjoy spending time in libraries, um, you know, hiring things out, looking at them. Um, so yeah, just love libraries always have. Um, yeah. I used to always go and do my homework in the library as a kid, just have liked the vibe since the beginning. Yeah, that's great, and thank you very much for uh, not not marking library books, getting your own to mark up and stuff. So yes, appreciated very much. <laughs> um, so you're here um, to talk about the uh, graphic, not your debut graphic novel, um, which by the time this is released will already be out. Um, yes, ev eventually everything connects, um, and uh, it's a collection of eight essays. Uh, that are a mix of lived experience, daydreams, science, philosophy, history, pop culture, memes, great ideas and silly ideas. Um, and you've managed to fit all of that in the book. That's uh, that's an effort in itself. Um, and the yeah, so the title's Everything Eventually, uh, sorry, Eventually Everything Connects. Um, and each essay is kind of standalone and self-contained, but there are themes that run through the whole work that link these essays um, into a cohesive whole. Um, does that sound about does that sound about right for it? It sounds great. I mean, I always I always hate the doomed question of so what's your book about? And I'm always like, oh, I don't I don't know how to talk about it. Um, but I feel like that is a pretty good summary of cool. what it is. So um, I'm not going to ask you to tell tell me what your book's about, but I'm going to ask for your elevator pitch, your really short pitch or, on why people should read it and why libraries should have it in their collection. Okay. I need to, I, okay, like I've, I've been told to come up with this and I should have this and I still don't have it because nothing is quite succinct. Uh, I'll talk about the vibe. I'll go okay. with that. Okay, so you know how a lot of the time these days you're just like what is going on in the world and like why is stuff so complicated and like what do I do and like ah, like that feeling? Um, this book is very much about taking that feeling and trying to just kind of hold it and make some sense of it. Um, and so a lot of people who've read this book have said to me that they've really enjoyed it because most people these days are feeling like, ah, and this book is just a little bit like shared. And then it's like, we're in this together. We're figuring out it out together. Who knows what will happen, but we're all here and like just some kind of compassion or love or little bit of lightness in the mix of that. Yeah, that's really, yeah, I, I, um, so I actually adored it. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, and it and that idea of acknowledging the art, but that shared togetherness um, around it um, definitely comes through. Um, it's yeah, it's it's really a strong um, one. One of the reasons why I like the work so much. So yeah, um, and it's it's nonfiction. So this is not something that's usually. Um, associated with with graphic novels and graphic storytelling, um, or as Will Eisner put it, sequential art. So, what was it that drew you to create the graphic, the the nonfiction through the graphic medium? Um, I think um, I've always gravitated more. Like I've done some fiction, 
but I've always gravitated more towards nonfiction or like creative nonfiction. So taking actual events, actual stories and moments, and then sort of weaving those into a story. Um, and I guess I just making comics or making work that's visual and textual is just how I think and work. So it couldn't have been any other thing. Like it needed to be a, a comic, sequential visual narrative. Um, and so, yeah, I've just basically made the work that I wanted to make or make the book that I wanted to see in the world that I couldn't find. Um, and like a lot of, essentially a lot of the stuff that's in the book is actually philosophy, I guess you could say. Like the book is eventually everything connects eight essays on uncertainty. And to me, uncertainty is kind of the underpinning thing that drives philosophy of like curiosity of like, why are things like this? How is this happening? You know, what do we do? What does this mean? What should we do? What should we do? All these sorts of questions come from uncertainty of not knowing. Um, and I feel like comics are kind of very malleable in space and time. And they're a great way for exploring questions, topics, feeling through feelings and that kind of stuff. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like the format of the book just kind of came naturally to me because it's how I think and how I make. And so whether that's representative in the broader market or not is like not irrelevant to me, but it's more just like um, I wasn't trying to make a book to fit the market or whatever. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's interesting that you said it was, um, you know, you feel that, that it was something that, um, comics uh that what you were trying to say was something comics are, are suited to um and everything because um in the book there's a lot of very realistic representations um i'm thinking to the whole um sequence of you sitting on the roof of your childhood home um but then there's a lot of um more abstract psychedelic surreal sort of sort of stuff that's um you know from from uh you know depicting various people as different animals to um, taking a ride on a worm through a compost bin. Um, there's a, a, it's That's something that comics is really, really suited to, I think, um, generally, is is that mix of um, realism and, and surrealism um, and the shifting forms of visual representation. But how do you desire, decide what needs to be realistic and what what you can take into these flights of not fancy but more more um uh uh, uh representative um not directly representative but um metaphorical images and stuff like that yeah um i actually really like that you use the word psychedelic because to me a lot of my thinking and also my making is very what i would call psychedelic and what i mean by psychedelic like is the original meaning of the word, which is mind manifesting. So psychedelic means like the manifested mind. So it's less that you're absorbing from the outside and more that you're projecting out there. And to me, like as someone with aphantasia and what aphantasia means is I don't have mental pictures. A lot of my thinking and sensing is very kind of um, embodied and textural so, for example, if you say imagine a car, I don't have a picture of a car in my mind. I instead have like the sound of a car, the the feel of the wax of a car, the shape of the car in my hands, like the way the wheels, like all this all this um, data around what a car is that's not the picture. And so when I 
when I'm drawing a direct representation of something, I usually use photo um, uh, photos to draw from. So, for example, when I was drawing those pictures of me on the roof of my parents' house, I went and took photos on my on the roof. So I'm directly drawing from uh, sketching from a photo because I'm representing a real space. But then when I'm representing my own thinking in the book, it does, to your point, become very psychedelic because it's like the wispy moving thought forms of when I'm following a line of thought, it is kind of malleable and strange. And in in your mind, you can become a tiny person on a worm, you know, and it's like, even for me, it's like, I don't see myself as a tiny person on, on a worm, but I could imagine holding this kind of big wet thing kind of going through the dirt, like, you know, so I draw that. And because I'm drawing the sensorial stuff, it becomes very gooey or whatever. Does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> it does, yeah. So it's it's interesting. So, um, uh, and I really love the, that description of aphantasia. Um, it's uh, something that I don't think a lot of people are are aware of. Um, and it's just it's just a visual sense. It's just that you don't create in your mind. You don't create images. All the other senses, you, your internal stuff. Will work, but not, not the not the visual. Um, as far how... as I understand, it's a spectrum. So it's like okay. if you ask anyone. So you have like aphantasia, which is just like not no ability to create mental imagery, all the way up to hyperphantasia, which a few people I know have, where their mental um, their ability to mentally visualize things is so strong. It's almost like a hologram is in front of them, so they could imagine a kingdom that they want to draw a book of and they can see it like in 3d and like look exactly at the turret and like draw the turret and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, most people have some level of fidelity or lack of, um, mental imagery. Yeah. Uh, like it's, it's really a spectrum and it's very different for different people. Yeah. So, um, I'm interested to know then how does, how does this, um, neurodivergence, uh, impact how you create and consume comics and graphic works uh, generally? Um, I guess the biggest thing, so I, an analogy that I think can be useful as well for describing aphantasia is it's like you have a you have a computer and you have a screen and for most people the computer and the screen are connected so when you're thinking, working on the computer, you can see it on the screen, whereas aphantasia is like you still have the computer and it all works except the screen is not plugged in. You know, so you have, because people are like, how do you know what anyone looks like or what anything is? And it's like, all the information is there, but I just don't have a picture of it. Again, this might be different for other people's aphantasia. This is just what makes sense for me. Um, but how that manifests for me when I'm drawing stuff is like um, a lot of comic artists I know, they'll be like, oh, I had this great picture in my mind and I tried to draw it and it just didn't turn out like how I pictured. Whereas for me, I don't have a picture. So I'm literally discovering the thing as I'm putting pen to paper, which is part of why I love, I've loved drawing since the beginning of time because like, you know, it's just, you know, it's just this thing of like, I can just be here. And it's like, right now, I don't have a picture of a face in my mind. I'm just like, you know, responding to that and then to this. And, you, you know, it's like that, it's like magic to me because it's not here. It's just like, it's like coming out of here. Like, which it sounds really silly, but like, um, there's such a like magical joy to drawing for me because I don't quite know what I'm going to draw. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound silly at all. That sounds amazing. 
It's fun. It's yeah. fun, except that sometimes, like, if I'm wanting to draw myself sitting on the roof of my parents' house, I kind of want to get that right. Like, I want it to look like the roof, you know. And so when I'm doing something like that, I will actually, like, take a photo so I can draw it properly, mm. you know. Um, and, uh, like, so the, I guess that's the other way it influences how I work is, like, when I want to try and get something right, I need a picture of it. It's like if you ask me to draw a camel or a horse, you're going to get some very weird thing. I still can't draw. I can't even quite draw cars. So, you know, it's just like, and I draw all the time making comics and I also work as a graphic recorder where I draw all the time live for clients. And so I'd kind of think that I'd be better at that stuff by now, but I still not amazing at it. Um, But, yeah, I just love but that's part of why I love drawing. And it's also why, like you can see in the background here, I've got like stuff all stuck up on my walls here, which are pages. This is a, this is a one comic and then this is um, chapters from my book. And as I was working, I would stick the pages up on the wall because I just couldn't visually remember like what I'd done. Um, and so I need to spread out a lot. I kind of create a like hybrid brain like out on the walls and stuff because um, otherwise I feel like I've done nothing. And that's that's something weird about working digitally is like it's all trapped inside the iPad. And so I'd finish work for the day and just feel like I'd done nothing because it's like I couldn't, yeah. yeah. So I, I very much need to like help facilitate myself with visual thinking tools to make sense of stuff. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that idea of the external brain. I'm going to use that uh, in future whenever anyone complains about my messy desk. It's not a messy desk. It's an in- external brain. Uh, <laughs> um, so while we're on the images, um, the, this is definitely not a book for kids. And the the topics covered are very adult in nature. Uh, not necessarily um, – so there's, there's nudity, sex, drugs and their use, all that sort of stuff, but also just the – the concepts um and the philosophy the philosophical concepts dealt with are um are very adult oriented concepts um and then and this is all reflected in the in the art um so unfortunately comics are still viewed as a children's or teens medium um is it was there any pressure um on you when you were creating this to make it more palatable for a younger readership? Um, and if so, uh, how did you push back and produce the book that you wanted to produce? Yeah, that's a really good question, James. Um, so this book took eight years to make, um, and part of that was, um, you know, figuring out what book I wanted to make and just kind of getting feedback from people, uh, you know, and also publishers and agents of like, you know, if you want to go down a traditional publishing route with a publishing house and an agent, you know, you need to make this marketable. It needs to fit particular segments of the market. You know, YA um, and children is really growing. People have always said to me, oh, you should do children's books. Your work is so colourful, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I had to keep kind of doing this check in with myself of like, you know, I'm getting one signal from the people in my life saying, oh, I should go this way. And, you know, what if you, this would be good for you, blah, blah, blah. And then having to check in with myself and being like, but what really excites me? What really lights me up? What do I love? Um, Because I need to have that like little fire in my heart and my tummy to kind of put in the effort to make the stuff. And I just realized 
you know, I just really enjoy more adult stuff. You know, even though my art looks kid-friendly, conceptually, emotionally, topic-wise, I just prefer adult stuff. Um, and I so I just went, you know, I need to lean into that, I guess, which was always a risk and it meant, and this is part of why the book took eight years, is I just got so much rejection of people saying, this is cool, this is interesting, but we have no idea how to market this. We have no idea how to sell this. Who is going to buy this? You know, we're going to have all kinds of trouble because, you know, kids and parents will pick it up and then they'll be like, you know, it's full of adult stuff and, you know, make a huge noise online and everything. Um, And so, yeah, it's been a little bit like, it's been a little bit like Sisyphus here, yeah, pushing a boulder up a hill again and again a little bit. Um, but then I also just like, because of my exposure to comics in like Italy and France, there's a lot of adult comics in France. And so I was just like, what's culturally normal in this country is different in other countries and that exists and it's real. So I'm just like, I'm going to st- stick to my guns and keep pushing for this thing. Um, you know, and it's like, I could have always self-published this and I've self-published lots of stuff prior to this, but I really wanted, you know, a big chunky book like this to have the support of, you know, publishing house and, di- you know, proper distribution um, and, you know, just lending that kind of, um I don't want to say credibility because I feel like that's really problematic, but I just wanted that support, you know? Um, And so, yeah, this was very much, you know, pushing against the grain in lots of ways, like conceptually, thematically as a book, you know, and I got so many rejections. Um, But then eventually um, Nikia Louie, who has a new imprint with um, Alan and Arnwin that's called Joan, She's a real um, advocate for stories and types of art um, that are pushed to the margins. And she saw this pitch for this book and just went, this is really different. This is really exciting. I really want to support this. And it re- I feel like in today's you know market, it really takes people who are really visionary and really pushing for a new, fresh, different um, voice to emerge to allow that to happen because otherwise you do just get, you know, lots of books being made that are the same kind of thing that sells, which is not bad, but it just means that that, that people miss out on kind of new, different things. Um, this is, so I'm sorry, I'm giving a very long answer, but yeah, it's been a long eight years and this book almost didn't happen. Like I had, this is a slightly funny story. I had so many rejections that I got to a point where I was really frustrated and I actually was like, this is actually not going to happen and I need to let this book die. You know, I just got to this point where it's too hard. It's not going to happen. So I actually went off to the hills to chop wood, which is a normal way to deal with stress, surely. Um, and so I'm there chopping wood and I was like talking to friends who've done graphic novels that didn't pan out. And I'm like, how do you let a book die? How do you process the grief of years of work kind of going nowhere? And I was just like really getting ready to just let it go. Um, and then I got a call from my agent saying, Nikia wants the book. She loves it as it is. You don't need to make it more this or more that. Just you have creative freedom. And I was just like, what? Okay. <laughs> you know, so it was like, I feel like it was like this close to not getting made. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I feel profoundly lucky. Like I feel profoundly lucky. Um, yeah. 
I think we're all profoundly lucky because it's an amazing book. So um, it would be a shame for it to have not been made. Mm. Um, but it's interesting what you're saying about support because the books also receive funding from federal, state and local government, I believe, um, including Australia Council for the Arts, which I think is now Arts Australia or something. They've had the name change this year. Um, yeah. Creative Victoria and the UNESCO Melbourne City of Literature stuff, which is through the Wheeler Centre, if I'm right. Uh, yes, and yeah. also City of Melbourne as well. Yeah. It's just the City of Melbourne, yep. Cool. Um, so what was the process like like for getting the funding and and working with these grant um, issuing bodies and are they becoming more receptive to comics generally, do you think, or is it still something that, you know, um, writing related stuff is still very much, oh, it has to be a novel, not nothing graphic. Yeah. Um, okay. So prior to writing books or writing a book books, I was actually a sculptor. And so when you, so coming from fine arts, one of the main ways that people would get funding is either doing projects and commissions or arts funding. And so I've always kind of had arts funding on my radar as a thing, as a, as a really great, asset that we have in this country to be able to fund and do get the time to do work and so with all my rejections I was just like I still want to make this book but I need some time and I need some money because otherwise this will take me forever so I applied for different grants and um, I think that because my book is like interdisciplinary like I talk a lot about science and philosophy and technology and various things um, when I was writing my grants I was very much like talking about wanting to expand, um, you know, what graphic novels can do, expand the market, connect with, you know, make a hybrid thing that connects with different people as opposed to it's just comics for comics readers um, in in a very um, already industry standardised way. Um, And so I found that, so I got a lot of funding for this book that was amazing and gave me, time for the research and production, um, you know, just so much. Yeah. The grants were phenomenal and amazing. And I am always advocating for people to apply for grants. And I'm also very interested in like helping um, share my grant applications with people so they can see how I've applied and and see what they can do in that way and, you know, what, what works. Um, and I think that there's been a there's been the idea for a long time that literary grants and arts grants don't fund comics. I haven't had success with arts. So when you when you apply for funding, there's like different streams. There's there's arts, there's literature, there's workshops, you know, different types of things. When I've applied for arts grants for this book, didn't get them. When I applied for literary grants, I did get them. So I can't speak to how that plays out for other graphic novels, though I do know lots of other graphic novel creators who have had really successful grants and getting like $30,000, $50,000, like really good grants to support the production of their book. Um, and for most people, it's basically so you can get time off work to be able to do the artwork. You know, you're buying yourself time. So incredibly valuable. I can't speak to is there a general change in grant um, giving that is more supportive of graphic novels. I don't know, but I also feel like um, the more graphic novelists apply for literary grants, the more it's on people's radar of like, oh, look at these cool books that people are wanting to make. Oh, this is an emergent cool thing. It creates more signal and so people respect it more. 
Um, but it also depends who's on the adjudicating panel of the applications because they might be anti-comics. Who knows? Like you might get an anti-comics person on your particular application round and you're stuffed. I don't know. Um, so there's lots of factors there that I can't know. So, but I, w- I would say like given the number of people and myself who have got grants for supporting their books, it is definitely an option. It's very competitive, but it's still, why not put a bit of time in, do the application, see if you get it, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, and would that extend to, do you think, um, Libraries getting applying for grants for comic related, so you know, series of you know, able to run workshops with creators, able to get creators into talk, you know, do art, artist writer residency sort of things, all of that sort of stuff. Is that do you think that's something that that is worth libraries looking into? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, um, I don't know, I don't know about libraries themselves that have got grants, but I do know people who have done events in libraries around comics. So for example, Gina and Owen, who ran the um, Paper Cuts Comics Festival in Adelaide just recently, that was arts funding. Um, and I think like Read to Me in Sydney has done stuff with the libraries and that was arts funding. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, there are other examples that aren't coming to mind, but um, I definitely think that um there's no there's no harm in applying um you know and the other thing is with most arts funding and liter- literary funding in um Australia there's a person you can call and you can just talk to them and say hey you know I'm from a library we'd really like to do this how can we make that fit with the funding requirements that you have so that it's a competitive application and they will help you um because they want to support the arts you know yeah that's right. Um, and before we move on, just same shameless self-promotion that we have, have a creator chat with Gina and Owen about paper cuts if you, after you've finished this one, because um, stay tuned, because I'm sure there's lots more very interesting stuff from, from Sarah about uh, her novel, but there'll be, um, yeah, the if you go back through the podcasts um, and the stuff, we'll, you'll be able to see the, um, hear, see and listen to the um, chat with, with Owen and Gina about putting on paper cuts. Um, so, as I mentioned at the start, um, in the introduction, you've been involved with two award-winning anthologies, um, and that barely scratches the surface of the various additional nominations and recognition for, for all of your work. Um, most recently, one of the essays from, from this graphic novel, um, the essay, We Were Here, was shortlisted for Island Magazine Nonfiction Awards. Um, what's it been like receiving these nominations and awards for your work um it's been really nice I mean there's lots of discussions these days about like how valuable are awards are they problematic do they cause more harm than good you know because for anything that has winners and losers you know it's like that's a problem and it's like even if you're not actually a loser because you didn't get the thing you feel like one and it's like it creates these kind of arbitrary hierarchies and in and out stuff that's a, that's worth discussing or that's worth talking about because it's it's a bit yucky um but at the same time um you know being rec- any anyone recognizing your work for its merit and value is really nice you know because people put so much time and effort into their work so for me 
I make a lot of work that I just don't actually really know if it's very good or not. Um, and so when someone else says that they like it, whether that's just, a, you know, one person or whether it's a magazine, it makes me feel happy because, you know, you don't make artwork in a vacuum. You always, you always make pieces because you have a reader, you know, imagined reader somewhere, or you want to talk to people and connect and communicate. And so, um, you know, I really appreciate it. And then from just a really practical level, like with getting grants, the more you can evidence that, um, people recognize that your work has caliber and that comes through like exhibitions, awards, residencies, blah, blah, blah. Um, the more that when you're making an application for a grant, the more they take you seriously. So, you know, that's yucky because there are lots of people who don't have, you know, that track record who do amazing work and like how are they meant to apply for things, you know? So anyway, it's very problematic. Um, but for me personally, I always enjoy, um, yeah, like having opportunities to, so if with, with Island Magazine, it was an opportunity to have my work printed in their prize. It was the first time a comics piece had ever been in their nonfiction prize. Um, and it makes me, like I have a hidden agenda that's not so hidden that is just about elevating um, comics to wider reading audiences and particularly to adults, you know, or um, what do you call it? It's not, what's the what's the age group after YA? Uh, emerging adult new adult or emerging adult (laughs) or something yeah um you know and it's like I feel like there can be this thing where there's like comics for children YA and then this just drop off and it's like if you don't transition to um prose books you know good luck you're a child forever um but I feel like no like there should be comics across the whole lifespan for people um and so yeah I have this thing of like a lot of adults will not read a comic book unless it's in a more adult literary space um and so to me that's also a win for comics more generally of that like them I would love it if comics were more respected and acknowledged as an art form right like film like when you say oh I like films people don't go oh what like Thomas the Tank Engine you know it's like no I you know like to me, comics are just a medium like film and there's multiple genres and I would just love for general readers to understand that. So it's like if they love, I don't know, romances, there's romance comics. Go get your romance comics, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think, I think honestly, I think film does suffer from that to a certain extent because um, if you look at uh, animated film, um, that's very rarely in in the English speaking world. Do you see animated film aimed at adults? So, and I think that that suffers from the same sort of thing as as comics. Of um, this is a kids medium, um, but yeah, it's uh, hopefully that's changing. And and we, you know, at Alley Graphic, we love when other people are also promoting comics as for everyone. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah. Uh, so interesting, it's an interesting thing because, like, um, I'll just so some people are like, Oh, why why are you naked on the cover? Now, that's not something that I actually wanted to do, but the um, you know, the team I was working with were like, We need something on the cover so people know that it's adult, and what says adult, a naked lady. (laughs) So, that's why there's a naked me on the front, is just it's meant to scare away the children. Um, but it's created problems for like people sharing the book because sometimes people are like, oh no, we can't have any nudity. So you see people like recommending the book like this. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> um, but that was like, yeah, a very strategic thing that they said I had to do. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I can I, I can see the the thing there that yeah, that's it's a it's a good shorthand, you know, easy way to say, yeah, the this is this is not going to be kid friendly. Yeah. Um uh they can they can steal it off their older sisters if they want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. so uh the two the two works that, that um that we I mentioned before, the um uh drawn together and um neither here nor hair, both anthologies, um and uh but very different publications. Drawn drawing sorry, drawing power, not drawn together. That's a completely different uh thing. Um Drawing Power um uh, that was published through Abrams, which is a big international publisher, and neither here nor hair were through Petrie Press. Uh, which is much smaller local publisher. Um, how are the experiences of working on these two anthologies similar and different? And what aspects of clearly you're drawn to um, pun not intended, but I'll take it. Uh, drawn to uh, working with others on anthologies and stuff. Um, so, what aspects of that do you enjoy? I guess I'm just a person where it's like if an opportunity presents itself, I'll often like jump on it and be like, oh, yeah, okay. It's like that's how I ended, That's how I came to making this book is like I found out about the Comic Art Workshop, which is an amazing group of comics artists who get together, um, and I wanted to apply because I was like, these people are cool. I want to go and do that. And so I came up with a whole book, you know, and it's like similarly I got asked to um, – you know, sub- submit a piece to um, neither here nor hair. Um, and I think that came about just because I, I um, chatted with um, Sid Stones about how at university when I was a sculptor I used to have fake pubic hair glued on my welding overalls and they were just like, what? And then it caught on fire. So there was a whole story there. Um, it's a very interesting and- little story in that in that anthology. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great. Um, very art school that but yeah um uh, and it opens the anthology too i think yeah yeah um so i don't know i just like i really enjoy i quite enjoy anthologies that are on a topic with different people responding um to that topic so you have a multiplicity of perspectives um and similarly with drawing power that's a um anthology about um sexual violence and gen- uh, gendered violence um towards women and non-binary um people and um, I felt like that was really important because of the um, diversity of experiences from different people, different countries. Um, and so I felt really honoured to um, share one of my stories from a, a really toxic workplace in that anthology and particularly with um, um, topics like that that are um, so hard and and, diffi- and difficult and challenging. There's some kind of um, safety in numbers as well with something like that that w- I felt was really important because it's a chorus. It's not a solo. It's a chorus. Um, so I think for me that's the enjoyment of anthologies. And in regards to um, working with the different publishers, so working with Petrie um, Press, that would like. Um, like I, I know Sid Stone, so that was very, and I know um, many of the other contributors to that, so that felt very much like I was amongst peers and friends and um, it felt very supportive and, um, you know, we had a lot of creative freedom, et cetera, um, whereas working with Abrams, that was more of like, oh, I don't know who else is 
writing for this and I'm not sure what they will say and um there were much there were more editorial um processes um but um Diane Newman who's now unfortunately passed away was the um the mastermind behind that um anthology and um she was really great to work with as well um but yeah it was just much more um also just working across time zones in the US there's more distance and more waiting and more editorial and that kind of stuff yeah um so yeah that's that's um uh really interesting and you th- so it was always a a process of they approached you to be part of the anthology and and then um in one case you had well in one case you were working on your own in another case you were like within the context you more aware of the context um how much did you um work on like from what you're saying the the editorial stuff and everything how much did what you were saying change based on what others were putting in and all of that in in those two situations did you adjust your style to to be more consistent with with others did you adjust what you're saying to to create a flow through the entire work or no, no I think and I think that's quite standard for anthologies is it's up to the like curator or the editor to you know figure out where different stories go and the flow of the book and what does and doesn't work and it would be up to them to give you feedback like um, as a creator, like I don't have visibility of what other people are making. The difference with um, the um, neither here nor hair is I could message my friend and be like, oh, hey, are you doing a comic for the anthology or what are you going to do? You know, so I had that informal checking in with people. Um, whereas with the Abrams book, it was very much when I got it, I finally saw the um, the comics. However, there are two other Australian comics makers in it, um, Meg O'Shea and Rachel Ang, and we chatted about what what each other was doing. Um, and they were very different stories anyway. So none of you know that didn't inform um what we made. Yeah. Um, so there's another part of your work that's still comics related, but uh but isn't um as directly comics, um, kind of. Uh and that's the graphic recording. So um, it seems like a really interesting way of it's recording meetings, conferences, all sorts of things. Um, can you and you're you were a founding member of of the um, what was it graphic graphic recorders Recording. Australia? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about what graphic recording is and and stuff? Yeah. So graphic recording is like um, minutes on steroids it's like it's like um actually that's incorrect uh so if someone is taking notes from a meeting you have a stenographer who is a person who captures it exactly word for word then you have a a minute taker who is a person who takes the like key action points or key whatever's that happen so it's more detail what a graphic recorder does is i'm more of a um synthesizer of the event so it's like the vibe key things that were said key moments key feelings um you know so it's like a little bit more creative and a little bit more about creating mnemonics so mnemonics are memory jogging things so that could be a word it could be a joke it could be a a picture um you know, these little moments in a conversation that um, for anyone who was there, they'll be like, oh, yeah, remember when they made the joke about the guy spilling the coffee on his pants? Oh, yeah. And then that kind of mentally connects them back into being in the room and remembering what happened. Um, 
And so graphic recording is, yeah, visual note-taking. Um, it takes lots of different forms. Like I do it, you know, in really messy kind of um, brainstorming UX scenarios up to like very formal keynote presentations. I do um, like conflict conflict resolution um, situations. I do legal. I do grassroots activism um workshops I you know whole a part of what I love about it is that I am able to go into different industries and sectors and different groups doing different stuff and um, support in amplifying and visualizing their voice so that they have this kind of beautiful visual asset that they can use for advocacy for communicating what they've talked about um and it, and even just like sharing back with participants so that they can remember, what was talked about because I, I don't know about you, but it's like if I go to, so I take notes all the time to remember because I just like to, you know, that's how I think. Um, but like if I don't take notes and I sit and listen to people talk, I can remember like maximum three things that were said, you know, like to this. And even if it's a conversation that I love, I'll just be like, oh, I can't remember what, how, oh, what did they talk about? You know, so I very much am feeling a need there where a lot of people and a lot of people also don't have time to either read back through the minutes or listen back to a two hour long conversation. And what a graphic recording is, is just another tool in the ecosystem of ways that you can capture information that is quite efficient. Cause I think it's something like your brain can recognize an image in like a split second and it takes you a little bit longer to recognize a word, et cetera. And, um, yeah, graphic recordings are a really great way to get the gist of and remember a conversation. And probably um, more accessible too for a lot of like it's if you, you know, people with dyslexia or, or other things that can be, it could be a lot, lot easier to, for them to engage with that method of recording. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, there's no one size fits all and like graphic recording is better than a report or whatever. It's more that it's just another um, way of engaging with content that can be helpful and useful. And like, I often do work, um, with community, um, where English is a second language, um, or literacy is very low. Um, and the feedback I get from that is that graphic recordings are really great way of getting people, um, better engaged with the content and the information so that they have better access. Um, so like, to me, that's really important as well. Yeah. Um, and to give people an idea, it, to my mind, the finished product, when I've seen them, they often look like an infographic, like you'd yeah. find on online stuff. Is that a is that a good way to think of them? Yeah. So I also create infographics. The, the differentiation I'd make between a graphic recording and an infographic is that a graphic recording is created live. So like as you're talking, I'm listening and capturing and it happens in in time and space. Um, is durational, whereas an infographic, someone might give me um, a report. Like I have one, I have one right here. I'm making an infographic for. So like this is a report of like we want to make visual assets, and here are the things we want to talk about. And I then take that and create a visual map of information from a pre-existing document. And that to me is an infographic because there's no there's no live element. It's more just me figuring out how to make complex information interesting and digestible yeah so it's uh, so the difference between infographic and graphic run is a bit like working from a script compared to ad-libbing what's happening based on what's happening absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. yeah um so 
this that's really interesting. I, I'm I'm fascinated by it. It's, it's not something I'd been across before. How does um, the graph, doing the graphic recordings influence your work on comics and graphic novels, and vice versa? How does comics and graphic novels influence your graphic recording? Oh, look, they really they really cross pollinate. I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess the big difference in my mind is that, like, when I'm creating graphic novels or comics or stories, they're very much about sequential pages. Um, and they're very much like, you know, my story to share with someone, whereas graphic recording to me is much more of a kind of strategic service. So I'm always like, I'm always, you know, and I do it as a paid job. So my, my, I'm always like, who is, who is my client? What, um, what value am I adding to that? To like, what's, what problem am, am I solving for them? What am I listening for? That's of service to them. What's useful to them? What's the value add here? So I'm very focused on them. And what they need. Um, whereas with my stories, it's very much, you know, creating my own world to share. So it's kind of um, conceptually different and different in its, um, the way I serve it. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Um, but formally, it's like this, it's very similar. It's like you have words and pictures working together spatially to tell different kinds of stories. Um, I would say graphic recording is typically less sequential that said, um, I was working for a um, domestic violence um, event and they wanted to have comics panels in the graphic recording to show the process of like if you are in a bad situation, what are the steps that you take, um, you know, with managing your money, um, finding a safe house, you know, and that's a very uh, sort of sequential process. And so that was much more comics looking, yeah. I guess. Um, so there's a lot of there is a lot of overlap. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. So does that the, the first thing you went to when you were talking about it becoming sequential was was turning it into panels? Is that a is that kind of a um, point of of distinction that you use as like if it's not like you don't think of them as panels if it's not sequential, and then if you start to put it in sequential, you start to make panels, or is that or am I reading too much into into an offhand comment? <laughs> I feel like it's a bit, I feel like, yes. Yeah. I feel like, yes, you're right. Um, but to me, it's also just a bit more fluid. It's like, um, to me, panels are just a recognizably comics thing yep. that don't typically get used in graphic recording because they're too static. And when you're doing graphic recording, it needs to be very sort of movable and things. Um, so you don't see them as much in graphic recording. Um, that's all, I guess. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, the main differences are that comics tend to be sequential, you know, over multiple pages, whereas a graphic recording tends to be one image yeah. that you move across, like a painting or whatever. Um, and then also it's just like comics that tend to be made alone at a desk um, to, to ship to people uh, and you make them because you like them, uh, whereas graphic recording is a service to a group or to people so it's less about you and it's more about them their ideas what's emerging and kind of being a mirror um and it's a i guess also graphic recording is a facilitation tool because you are a mirror in the room with the people and they can you know if i'm here i'm a person i'm here talking and i say like i don't like it and i and i on my big screen it says i don't like it this person knows that it's been heard and said and then, and that helps to facilitate the conversation where they can move on to the next thing. And, you know, so it's, there is a, it's very relational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so that's that uh, if uh, like I'm sure there are other people who are going to be going, this is a really interesting concept and, and want to learn more about it. If a library is interested in having a graphic recording for something um, or even just wanting to learn more about it, what sort of stuff would you be suggesting that libraries would should think about graphic recording for and how can they go about it and how and what should they know about about graphic recording before they take that plunge? Yeah, so a great a great place to start out is looking at the Graphic Recorders Australia website. So that is an association that we set up that is a kind of hub of information, connections to different people in the community who do this kind of work, uh, all these different kinds of practitioners, um, different, um, you know, it's similar to like the ACA comics page where it's like recommended rates and like how do you engage a graphic recorder, what does a graphic recorder do, uh, sort of an educational portal. Um and I guess um, graphic recording doesn't work for all events um, or scenarios. So um, there's that. Like, for example, if you're in an accounting meet in, meeting and people are talking very specifically about numbers and details, um, graphic recording is a bit too general for something like that, you know. Um, whereas if you had, um, like, for example, um, at the Paper Cuts Comics Festival recently in Adelaide, you had different um, comic artists talking about their process, stories of how they got into things, sharing tips and tricks, perfect scenario for graphic recording um, that's got lots of information that you could share out. Um, and then when it comes to, so, for example, I do a lot of training courses on graphic recording. Um, I have a little free online course um, that's just sort of the four basic skills to be able to start to do graphic recording. Um, there's lots of graphic recorders that would come in and do like a day workshop to um, teach people stuff. You could do that at a library. Um, also, something that... Um, we found really useful is that graphic recording is a great study tool for students. Um, and it can even just be the basics of graphic recording. So like using headings, using different colors, you know, for different things you need to memorize for a presentation or an exam or whatever. And those kind of, um, visual thinking skills and note taking skills can be really fun and engaging for students who are finding it hard to you know, um, listen in class, that kind of stuff. So there's lots of different ways you can sort of plug and play um, graphic recording skills. So, yeah, like the it's like the world is your oyster. There's so many things you could do, you know. Yeah. That's great. Um, and the URL for the graphic recorders that you're talking about, that's um, www.graphicrecorders.org.au. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not actually sure of it off the top of my mind, but... Um, yeah, I think so. Do you have show notes in, in this that we could put it in? Uh, yeah, we can put it in the description, I'm sure. Yes, it is www.graphicrecorders.org.au. Cool. Um, and that so also has free, um, free kind of meetups, like we do drawing meetups where different people come and you talk about how they do what they do and you can kind of do drawing jams together and, like, practice drawing different stuff and um, very similar to comics. It's a beautiful community of people, so very friendly. Yeah. Yeah, so hopefully there'll be some some um, people who listen to this and go, yeah, let's let's get that happening at, at our library for, for something because um, it sounds like a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, so that's... Uh, bringing us up to to the time uh, that you've very kindly given us for this interview. Um, 
what is next for you now that your book's out um, after you've taken the time to recover from from all of this process what 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 are your plans um, for the future so I guess the next big thing for me is just like all of the fun like book publicity stuff that happens of like interviews and launches and um, discussions and whatnot um and um if you're in Melbourne I am having a very fun book launch at uh, Science Gallery that's in Carlton on the 18th of October and it goes from 5 o'clock till 8 o'clock. At 5 o'clock people will have um, exclusive access to the Dark Matters exhibition that they have on at the moment at the gallery and then at 6 o'clock myself and two other amazing friends will be doing a very special secret surprise performance that will only happen once in all of space and time, so don't miss it, six <laughs> o'clock. Um, and then we'll have a um, comics reading and also a Q&A about the book with um, Vidya Rajan, who's an amazing um, comedian and uh, multimedia artist. Uh, and then at seven o'clock we're going to have a book cake, so you can have a piece of cake that looks like my book. And there'll be signings and sales and stuff like that. Um, and it's all free, um, but you do need to RSVP just for catering and for seating. Um, so that'll be very exciting. 18th of October, 5 to 8 p.m. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have some launches happening elsewhere around Australia. They're not um, pinned down just yet. Um and then I also believe that the book will be coming out in the US in spring 2024. So that's not, again, not locked down, but that's sort of in the works. Um, so there will definitely be stuff happening with that next year. Um, in regards to like writing another book, I've got some ideas. I'll see if I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I'll just um, I'll just see what, uh, you know, new opportunities present themselves and, you know, what's next? I don't know. We'll see some new adventure. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, um, there we always ask um, for three comics or graphic novels that you've enjoyed recently and that you'd encourage others to read. Um, I understand you've got even more than three, so <laughs> looking forward to that. Yeah. So uh, number one, I will say Still Alive by Safta Ahmed brilliant book very very important book award-winning book um for all ages um you know it's really um challenging but really important um highly recommend that um next book our members be unlimited by sam wallman um i feel like this is a really great um summary digestion of uh, workers movements in history and i feel like Um, There's so much to be gleaned about um, people power and, you know, ways of um, challenging problems in this that is really um, moving and inspiring um, and it's just a beautiful, like Sam's work is just phenomenal. So highly recommend that. Um, This is a YA book um, by Pat Grant called The Grot. Um, This got workshopped at the comic art workshop that I was mentioning about. So I've seen, you know, the, the absolute blood sweat tears and heart that has gone into this book and it's all hand drawn uh and watercolored and it's like a ripper of a story it's a heist heist story it's a ripper of a story um and this book i absolutely love stone fruit by lee lai um it is 
Lee is just such a phenomenal um, artist and the book is just so profoundly moving and simple and complex and just amazing uh, representation of the com- complexity of relationships. Um, so, yeah, those are my those are my top recommendations. Uh, and they're all Australian. Oh, these are all Australian? Yeah. Uh, three more that I um, love. Um, so Boundless by Gillian Tamaki. These are great short stories um, and, like, the artwork is different in each chapter but it's got just such, like, phenomenal i was looking at this picture the other day that i love where is it uh like stuff like just like beautiful like oh beautiful work um unflattening by nick susanas this was his phd this is very uh intellectual philosophical cerebral really beautiful clever um deep book about perception and knowledge um and then The River at Night by Glenn Ganges. Uh, this is uh, by Kevin, I don't actually know how to say his last name, Huizenga, Huizenga, Kevin Huizenga. Um, Glenn Ganges is the character and The River at Night is a collection of the various um, comics that he has. Uh, this is very kind of conceptual, cerebral as well, but like really entertaining and love it. Yeah. Yeah, and I've got more, but I'll stop. <laughs> okay, they're really they're really good suggestions, and I and I it shows the um I think it shows because uh I think all but three of those were nonfiction as well, is that right? Or yeah. so because I think the the grot isn't stone fruit isn't and the um Glen Ganges one isn't, but the others all are. Is that right? We have an even split. Okay, even split. Yeah. yeah. These are fiction and these are non-fiction. Yeah. Oh, well, that's my book. I feel like... Well, that's the- non-fiction too. That's non-fiction too. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's a split. I feel like there's a split. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's uh, it's great that it's it shows how um, how vibrant the, the um, uh, community of people making non-fiction graphic novels is, is as well. It's, um, it's a definitely a growing area and it's one to that people should pay attention with and your book is definitely a, a um welcome and uh worthy part of that uh so yeah thank you very much for joining us um the before we before we finish up what is the best way so you said there's gonna be launches across australia all sorts of stuff um what's the best way for people to get to keep updated on your projects um and uh for those who can't make the launch or anything like that where's the best spot for them to get your new book yeah so um the book officially comes out on the 3rd of october uh, nationally. So will have come out by the time this this is yes. put out. So, so yeah. Buy it at most bookstores. If a bookstore that you love doesn't have it, um, you can uh, get them to order it in. Um, it's also available online. Um, I also have copies to sell. Unfortunately, postage for this is very expensive. So the go joys to of hardcover books. books. Yeah. <laughs> go to the local bookstore. Um, uh, and in regards to keeping up to date with things, I use social media a lot. So much. It's, people have told me I'm annoying, but whatever. Um, you do you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I use Instagram a lot. I use TikTok a bit. Um, and, yeah, may, I guess mainly Instagram. Um, 
a little bit of Twitter, a little bit of threads. Oh, X. Oh, why did you ruin Twitter? Anyway. Um, uh, and handle? Uh, so most of my things are at Sarah the Firth. So S-A-R-A-H, the, T-H-E, and then Firth, F-I-R-T-H. All, all one thing, no underscores, nothing like that? Yep, just Sarah the Firth. Um, yeah. and, and you've got a website? Yes, and my website is www.sarahthefirth.com. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us, and uh, all the best with the as, with the you know release. Which yeah, by the time people listening to us will will you know, being well done with the release, uh, and all Thanks, the best for the for the launches and everything, and and for the continued success of your book. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, James. And it was, um, yeah, really great to chat with you. And thanks for um, organizing this. Yeah, it's great. It's been great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Aliographic Podcast. Hit the subscribe button on our YouTube page and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Aliographic. Email us at aliographicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliographic.blogspot.com for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.